Welcome to episode 10 of the Decarceration Nation podcast, the podcast about radically reimagining America's criminal justice system. I'm Josh Ho, the formerly incarcerated person. Uh, I'm currently a freelance writer, criminal justice reform advocate, and the author of the book, Writing Your Own Best Story, Addiction and Living Hope. Joel. I am Joel Barson with a background in affordable and supportive housing. Cool. No more. You used to do the quips when you were... I know. Yeah, we'll get back to them. I ran out of um, adjectives uh, <laughs> to describe my um, my position here. But So how do you... Do you <laughs> did you think when we started we'd make it to 10 episodes? <laughs> it's, like... it, it's pretty amazing um, that we've come this far, and it's been um, quite an education. Um, I, I look forward to each of these sessions because I learned so much and... It's um, an opportunity for thoughtful conversation around something that I think is important. And if I may say, um, I also appreciate just spending the time with you. Oh, that's very nice of you. I like hanging out with you, too. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, I mean, so far we've moved from pretrial through sentencing and, and just recently started getting to prison and jail reform uh, after a brief jump into my own story. So we're back with prison and jail reform issues, uh, you know, which are the issues that prisoners and families deal with when while we're while they're in car, while someone's incarcerated. Uh, so today, in particular, we're going to talk about something that I think almost everyone who, or at least a very large percentage of anyone who's been incarcerated, is pretty familiar with, and their families too, which is JPay. Did you know anything about JPay before we had this discussion, Joel, or before I sent you the articles? Yeah. Uh, I knew absolute zero about it. So I hope that you start us off with some background. Um, I did do the reading uh, that you had directed me towards, and it was illuminating and um, somewhat infuriating, but we'll get into that. Why don't you um, give us a primer on JPEG? Okay, well, JPay is a, a country a company a country that's based in Florida uh, that is increasingly become the interface between every type of communication services or payment that family and friends of people in prison use. Uh, so they kind of sit between the prisoner and information exchange or monetary exchange. As you may or may not know, when you're in prison, you don't actually have cash. You don't have money or elect, you know, what you have is an account and everything you earn while you're working, which, you know, obviously you get paid pennies per hour and everything that people send you goes into your account, which is a JPay account usually. So would would it be fair to call JPay the internet service provider or am I um, too narrow already? Is it, it's much more than that. They're, they're like, um, well, first of all, bank. I think this is important. There really isn't internet per se in prison. Uh, so even when you, and we'll talk about tablets in a little bit, but say you had a device, your device would only be, it would be like being an unconnected advi- device, like having a laptop that has a lot of software on it that you can use while you're sitting somewhere. But the only time it becomes active is when you go to what's called a kiosk uh, and you plug your device into the kiosk. And then that kiosk gives you access to a very limited internet uh, with pretty serious firewalls and stuff like that. So is is JPay the? Um... But oh, to answer your question, JPay 
it does a lot of things. So if a family member wants to put money in your account, they use JPay. If a family member or you or someone else wants to pay part of your fees and fines, you use JPay. If uh, you have, uh, you know, if you're, there's just a lot of things that JPay does. We'll talk about a lot of that in a second. Uh, but, you know, they basically are the, like I said, the interface between prisoners and families and virtually everything that, that is service related. You know, commissary goes through JPay. Well, it sounds like quite um, possibly a monopoly, quite an enterprise they have. Well, wherever they are, the service provider, which is an increasing amount of prisons. And, yeah, they do have a, kind of a monopolistic, I would call it a monopolistic interest. Uh so one of the things that have you ever heard of the concept of regressive taxation? I'm sure you had some, you know, I'm afraid I have not <laughs> educate me. OK, well, regressive taxation is the notion that taxes uh, are borne by the people least able to handle it. Mm. And so a progressive tax system tends to, pr to tax the rich and a regressive tra taxation system tends to tax the poor. And so the burdens of the cost of everything that the government does or all the services that it provides are uh, borne by the people uh, at the bottom. Mm -hmm. And we've moved from what used to be at least somewhat a progressive taxation system to a regressive taxation system. And while... Uh, people being in prison isn't really uh, taxes per se. I feel like, you know, part of our social burden is prisons, and we've moved increasingly to uh, making the funding of prisons and jails more about uh, people, you know, especially prisoners and their families bearing, bearing most of the financial burden. And unfortunately, uh, it's definitely true that most people who are in prison and jail are, you know, and their families are particularly poor. Uh, there's a report called Who Pays the True Cost of Incarceration on Families, which is a bunch of organizations working with the Ella Baker Center for Human Rights, found in 2015 that people with convictions are saddled with copious fees, fines, and debt at the same time that their economic opportunities are diminished, resulting in a lack of economic stability and mobility. 48% of families in our survey overall were unable to afford the costs associated with a conviction, while among poor families, making less than 15000 per year, 58% were unable to afford these costs. 67% of formerly incarcerated individuals associated with our survey were still unemployed or underemployed five years after their release. So what you've got is kind of a combination of really poor people and a incarceration system that makes the impacts of that poverty much more severe it makes me think of that that old line that it's expensive to be poor it sounds like um that's that's true many times over to be poor and incarcerated yeah and another kind of just to add some icing to this particularly terrible cake uh, here's something from the a study, The Economic Burden of Incarceration in the United States, which was completed in 2016. Incarceration eliminates an incarcerated individual uh, as a source of income for his or her family, thereby increasing the chance of eviction. Release from incarceration also increases the chance of eviction because people with felony convictions face barriers with private landlords and in some cases are banned from public housing. 
that 10% of formerly incarcerated persons report family members being evicted from their home post-incarceration. The average cost of an eviction, and eh, we'll skip that part, uh, it's pretty high. It's, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, this underestimates the total cost. Oh, I'm trying to get to the good part here. The, well, the bad part is really what it is. Uh, basically, what this is going on to say is that there's a huge criminal justice debt that families bear, which is really what I'm trying to get to the bottom of. And even it's, you know, there are other part of that same report said that, you know, at least 60,000 children have made, been made homeless by having parents incarcerated. And so, like, basically... What you have is a lot of families that don't have a lot of money in the first place. A breadwinner goes to prison, which means you have a lot less money in the family. And then the any any debt that the courts uh, give to the person or any other problems or, uh, or these services become a burden on those families in addition to the loss of the breadwinner, which you know creates a lot of times they just can't afford to pay and they do anyway because they love their you know, sister or brother or, 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 or husband or, you know, or dad, you know, and so you get into these pretty terrible situations. And so I wanted to start there because, uh, you know, um, the impact when you think about it, when you, before you even get to JPay, you know, these are people in terrible, you know, not always, it's not always the case, you know, but for a lot of people in prisons and jails, you're talking about people who just really can't afford to be gouged and really can't afford to be uh, burdened by, you know, kind of usurious fees. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yet, JPay, which which um, seems to have its hand in this entire monetary system, um, has these uh, incredible, incredible fees. And it's it's incredibly expensive yeah and like the center for public integrity did a several years ago did a kind of report about jpay and this is what they said sending money to someone behind bars used to go something like this you go to the post office buy a money order for about a dollar 25 and then mail that to the prison or jail all told it would cost you no more than two dollars that was before jpay came on the scene over the past 12 years, JPay has taken advantage of the internet to revolutionize money transfers in the prison system. 70% of all prisons in the U.S. offer JPay services, and for 450,000 inmates, JPay is the only way a loved one can send money. That kind of uh, market share came at least in part from a profit-sharing arrangement. JPay uh, stuck with prison systems. But the result of the families trying to send money is a complex and expensive layering, layering of fees. And we'll talk about the different fees in, as we go through this. So um, there are basically three services that JPay provides. Uh, well, three areas or categories. The first can, one... Can I interrupt you real fast? Sure. Uh, one of the things that strikes me, um, just with what you said already is that this is internet-based, and, um, and and that seems like its own barrier, right? I think this came up briefly in the reading, that um, it presumes that everybody who needs to transact with this system um, has easy access to the internet, which is absolutely not true. Again, yeah, absolutely, when people are, you know, especially people uh, who don't have a lot of income are often uh, separated from uh, internet possibilities. And to be honest, a lot of poor neighborhoods, uh, internet service providers won't provide services to those neighborhoods. Uh, there have actually been rogue internet service providers in Detroit, for instance, where they build their own internet because the internet service providers won't come to their neighborhoods because they're too poor. Yeah, so that's sort of barrier number one, this entire system uh, built on the foundation of, of Internet access. 
Yeah, so not only for the people in prison who are interacting with a limited internet, for the people outside, sometimes the internet is much more limited than you would assume if you're not someone who uses it every day. Right, one would imagine um, the, the, the discomfort and awkwardness um, of interacting with this system at a public library, for instance, which is, you know, thank goodness for public libraries. But, well, and imagine yeah. you don't have the banking resources or you're not used to using electronic pay transfers and stuff like that. And you don't really understand uh, a lot of the, the things that you're signing off when you click on the box. I mean, I don't know if you looked at the JPay uh, website, but it sure looks pretty sunny for, uh, you know. Yeah, it sure does. It's, it's, it's sort of um, disconcerting, uh, the image that it seems to present. Um, I, would, I would definitely suggests that our listeners take a look at it because it's it's jarring. I think um, it's jpay.org or jpay.com. I can't remember which one it is. And I and I can say from personal experience working with um, indigent populations that uh, it seems to me the majority of people that I work with in 2018 in um, in the prosperous county in which um, you and I both live um, the vast majority majority of them don't have bank accounts, um, and that speaks to what you said about them, about you know uh, ease of use with these electronic banking systems. Yeah, that's a huge problem, uh, and just a and, a and a and a presumption from privilege, obviously. Yes. Yeah. So um, again, the the services that the the basic categories of services that JPay provides are payment services, which includes money transfers, payment of fees. And what are called release cards, which is actually pretty controversial. We might talk about that a little bit. The second category is communications, which is email, video games, video chat, and grievances. And the third is digital media, which is music, books, games, videos, commissary, and educational programming. Uh, now, one of the things that's really frustrating about this whole thing is, in principle, I think you know the idea of having access to, for instance, educational information through a digital device for someone who in, in prison could be quite transformative. You know, there have been uh, prisons that did uh, kind of limited studies with the idea of, for instance, teaching incarcerated people programming that have had incredible results. Or, you know, just the access of being able to go, for instance, to digital, digital classrooms. Mm -hmm. If you're familiar with uh, the kind of like massively on uh, massive online open uh, courses or community or schools or whatever, I think they're called MOOCs that uh, are available to the rest of the world. You can basically go to college online uh, with reputable colleges. You can also do it with kind of scam colleges, but what a fantastic thing if those who, um, if, if incarcerated folks would have access to that, do they? Uh, it's kind of a mixed, the answer to that's kind of mixed. And let's kind of go through these different things first, just to get so people have an understanding of how much the costs are. Uh, so, for instance, we started with payment services, which was money transfers, payment of fees and release cards uh, in payment services. Uh, a report suggested that a community member outside prison has to pay about six ninety five in fees for every fifty dollars sent to an inmate, uh, which is usually you know like I, I think I got through my three years with getting about fifty dollars a month, uh, and I probably could have you know that that was actually luxurious, but uh, compared to some folks. But if you think about that, you know you're paying a pretty high interest rate yeah. on making a transaction, you know almost seven dollars in fees for fifty dollars sent. 
Yeah. And when you think about that they're getting money on both ends, in other words, all that money then gets used in their system. You know, so they're all the money that gets put into the system, most of it goes to them and they're charging a usurious fee for it. It starts out in a pretty bad place. Uh, so, you know, that, that that's pretty bothersome in my uh, mind. You, you, you use the perfect word, usurious, um, that, that seems to capture it. Yeah. And so the last thing I just want to talk a little bit about this in this section, because I think that, you know, just saying how much the interest rates are compared to interest rates in any other place, you know, it's 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 like being at an airport or uh, or uh, somewhere else where you're basically held hostage. Right. You know, they they charge the fees because you can't leave and they charge the fees because they're the only option. They're the only game in town. Time times 10 again in, yeah. in a prison setting, you know, at an airport, at a movie theater. We all have the ability, you know, to stuff things in our uh, school bag or something, um, but uh, not so in a prison setting. They, in, in every in every sense, are a captive um, population for us. And so, to talk a little bit more about just the ethics of how, of this business model, and I know we're mostly talking about in prison, but one of the things that's covered here is what's called release cards. And so, whatever money you had in your account and any money you've earned from working the whole time you're in, you get on a card when you leave, and that card is a JPay card. Now, just to kind of give you an idea of the kind of ethics that's in play here, uh, these release cards without, you know, the inmate has no choice about how they get the money. They give, they're given a release card, but these release cards uh, have, uh, these cards are designed with limits like cost per usage. So every time you use it, it'll it'll take some of the amount that you have. So like, say I went to an ATM and paid the ATM fee, there would also be a fee for the card. Wow. Uh, maintenance fees, which means as long as you have the card, they can charge you. In some states, it's per week. And in some cases, in some states, it's per month. So they can take money off your card either way. Uh, there's also a non-usage fee in a lot of states, which means if you don't use the card, they can charge you for it. So they can charge you both for the maintenance and for not using it. So you could get charged. So say you had 50 bucks in your account, they could charge you a buck for not using it and they could charge you a buck for maintenance. And all this because JPay has its um, tentacles so um, strongly wrapped around this entire uh, transactional system. It would be if, if it would be so much better if people were just written a check. Yes. In fact, it would be much better and used to be much better. And part of the reason is because JPay's trick, the, the Trojan horse of JPay, mm -hmm. is that they tell the departments of correction, we'll do everything for free mm -hmm. as long as you let us do whatever we want. So, for instance, with you know the Internet stuff, the kiosks, they say, we'll build all this infrastructure for you. It'll be free, but you have to guarantee us an exclusive contract. It's a deal the prison um, authorities can't refuse. Right. And then the prison authorities also build in for-profit things into the language of the contract. So they're getting paid, JPay is getting paid, and families and incarcerated people are getting absolutely, you know, pardon my French, but screwed. It, it, it's capitalism pushed to uh, an absurd extreme in, um, in a setting where it seems bizarrely inappropriate. Yeah, and, and, you know, I mean, and part of it's because of this kind of larger cultural idea that it's okay to do anything 
to people who've been incarcerated, regardless of the situation or what their crime is, that they're beyond human compassion because they're not actually human beings. They're some kind of monster or whatever. And even if you believe that, which we've talked quite a bit about, even if you believe that 100,000%, why are their families monsters? And why would you put all these burdens on people who are poor beyond the prisoner? Now, obviously, I don't agree with the other part of it, but, uh, you know, it just seems like a very immoral system. And the last thing I'll say about those release cards is they've also been caught doing this thing where they will say that they'll do these things that say that, you know, like, so after you've used it, when you first get out the first couple times, they'll cut it off and say that they saw uh, suspicious usage. Mm-hmm. And then they make a bunch of requirements on you to get the card reopened uh, that most people can't meet, you know, like certain kinds of ID or certain kinds of cell phones that a lot of people who've just come out of prison don't have. And then if you meet all those requirements, they'll shift the goalposts on you and ask for more. And during that whole time, they're charging you those fees I was telling you about on the card until there's no money left. And so they basically are just trying to straight out cash grab every bit of money. When you come, you got to remember, we talked about this before, people come out of prison massively in debt. Which means that, you know, the only money you have, you have no money from before, you have no money from when you're out, and all you have is this card with like 200 bucks on it, and they're trying to take every single cent of the $200. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. It is unbelievable. And then you see this website with like, they have the family sitting there, oh, we're so happy to send money to JPay. Oh, it's so beautiful. What a wonderful experience we're having. Yeah, words can't quite capture what it looks like. I, I don't really know how to even describe it. It's you think you were going um, to Amazon to 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 you know for a wonderful uh, experience. Okay, so if you're not convinced yet that they're pretty terrible human beings and doing some pretty bad things, and I don't know them personally, but I can't imagine anyone's business model being this uh, cruel and inhumane, and like you literally are going to sleep every night knowing that you're making millions of dollars. Like, for instance, in the New York tab, we'll talk tablets in a second, but when they went to New York and built all, gave all these tablets away, they were predicting that within a few years they would be making $9 million, uh, you know, on a regular basis from having done this. Now, remember, I mean, that's you are literally going to bed every night knowing that you are profiting from making poor people almost homeless yeah it's crazy it is it it, it's transparently cynical um even sinister and states and 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 departments of correction go go along with all the time michigan has a lot of these programs uh so anyway yeah i think if we're if if we're about to pivot i just want to you know it's the the irony of it all as you continue to sort of turn this over and look at it from new sides is uh, like the website, it seems like it can seem on the outside like they are um, saintly, like they are um, doing a good service, which I think brings us to the tablets, right? Um, well, we're not quite there. We're at communication. So the first thing we're going to talk about is email. Okay. Okay. So one of the things they do is provide an email service. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so you can go to the kiosk if you have a tablet or not, and you can go and you can write an email or you can have an email delivered to you from someone on the outside through a secure system that's only there. You know, it's not an internet-based email system. Well, it is, but it's a secure internet-based system. There's no other 
uh, people involved. It's just between the person. It just goes through that one server sounds or like sub servers. Sounds like a great service. Yeah, except that in order to use it, you have to buy digital stamps, which generally run between 25 to 50 cents per stamp, which means that every time a letter is sent, an email is sent, and every time an email is received, they're making between 50 cents and a dollar. Because we know that the overhead in sending and receiving emails is massive. Yeah. I mean, like, how much do you... I mean, I'm sure you pay a lot to send your emails. My Gmail account costs me so much. And do you know why Gmail is free? Advertising? Well, they know that if they get you into the Gmail system, that then they can push advertisements and they can push other uh, for-pay benefits or things towards you mm -hmm. in, in the Google system. Mm -hmm. And they also get your data, which they can then sell. Mm -hmm. Okay, so they get a benefit from it, but they don't charge you for it. JPay does the exact same thing as Google with every prisoner, but they also charge you for it at every possible, you know, they also get the benefit of your data. They also get the benefit of being able to push services toward you. They also get, they would make money if they charged for this or not, and they charge a incredible amount for something that the price only goes down for once they've built out this. So like five years later, that system doesn't require a lot of, you know, new, they've paid it off. It's all pure profit for them. And there is, it, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I came across this in the reading. There is this sort of artifice of neutrality with them saying, hey, we're just tying the cost of an email to the cost of a real postage stamp. So long as a postage stamp doesn't go up in cost, nor will neither will the cost of an email. And yet, imagine if I had to purchase um, a postage stamp every time I sent an email. Well, and part of the thing is, is that they have a word limit, a character limit on these stamps. And I don't remember, I mean, there's a weight limit on, on a letter, but you can definitely write a lot more in a letter than they do with this other thing. And, you know... It just seems disingenuous to me on yeah. a lot of levels because they don't have any of the costs of postage. Right. Okay, the reason why a, a postage stamp costs 25 or whatever it costs now, I haven't used a postage stamp that much recently. I think I always get forever stamped. But whatever it costs, that cost pays for the postman or post person to go and take mail you know, to the post office, they send it to wherever. There are people going all over the place. There's a lot of costs that the stamps pay for. This system that they build is a one-time expense with some upgrades that have to happen every once in a while. The cost of the build is, you know, they've paid that off a lot. You know, they paid that off already, probably. Yeah. So it doesn't have the same costs attached to it. So it's not, that's kind of disingenuous. It yeah. also, it's just, it's cheaper overall to do it than to send mail. Yeah. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Uh, they also have add-ons, of course. You can also get more costs and have to spend more stamps if you want to, for instance, attach pictures or uh, video messages. Uh, so you get to pay even more in those instances. And then that brings us kind of to, uh, to uh, video chat and video visitation, which is a huge thing. We might do a different episode on this since we're kind of packing a lot in here. But I just want to say without you know, spending too much time on it, that it's extremely expensive and a lot of jurisdictions are moving to video-only visitation and they're cutting uh, you know, in-person visits, which is really problematic. I don't want to talk about it too much except to say that JPay charges about nine bucks, between nine bucks and 12.95 for 30 minutes of video chat if you have 
the little tablets, which we'll talk about in a second. And uh, as a result of that, DO, departments of correction are starting to really scale back, uh, and jails are starting to really scale back on in-person visits. Yeah, so I yeah I won't say too much either, um, except to say once again that this seems um, abusive on on both sides. In that um, I you know using my cell phone have access to any number of absolutely free services that I can use to have a video call with somebody. Um, so it doesn't seem like uh, so like nine dollars to have that call would would mean I would never do those video calls. But also, um, the idea that a video um, call to a loved one is somehow a, uh, a, a an adequate replacement for human to human contact um, is is unfortunate. It is unfortunate. And so then we'll move to this kind of digital media, which includes these tablets. So JPay, their big thing now is that they they've agreed they've gotten all these departments of correction, Michigan, Colorado, uh, New York, to agree to allow them to provide free tablets, which I think run them about less than twenty dollars to make per. I'm guessing because mm-hmm. the uh, you know if you try to buy one uh, outside, it's like a hundred bucks on eBay or whatever. Mm-hmm. Which you know I mean they're making them in mass, so that's going to push the cost way down, and it's kind of a cheap tablet in the first place. So I'm guessing it doesn't cost them very much to make. Uh, they give them away free, and they, as long as the departments of corrections agree to all the conditions, and you know they have all these, per, you know, for-profit things built into the tablets, uh, like games and streaming music, and uh, the ability to do email through there. Although you still have to go through the kiosk to download all of it, uh, and they also have the educational stuff on the on the the tablets now. Uh, it sounds like I said before, or we said before, kind of like a pretty good idea. But, you know, I mean, it's very hard to determine how much actual educational information is available for free on there. I've been trying to get to the bottom of that for a while and haven't seen very much. And to me, that's the really only benefit of these things. Everything else seems like more for-profit, new ways to gouge inmates even more. Right, like one of the things that came up in our reading is access to a music service that seems to have, um, in relative terms, a small library compared to what you and I have access to um, uh, readily and, and freely. The, the subscription fee is something like $20 per month in some cases. Yeah, I think, you know, I looked at a bunch of different states and a bunch of different stuff, and it's very hard to get the direct, the, the correct information on all of this. But it seems like in general, they charge about twice what a, a streaming service or a download service would charge on the outside. For if you get a paid version, the, a, a Spotify account is absolutely free um, without the paid, you know, needing to pay and, and access to lots of music. And I imagine there'd be people who would say, you know, I can't believe we're even talking about this. Um, you know, why isn't it a luxury? Um, you know, what makes them uh, incarcerated folks even entitled to a music streaming service? And yet, to 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 make an argument that you'd want to uh, deny people access to music. Um, Seems like a, it would be. A, a, well, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of problems with that. Uh, you know, I mean, one of them is is that, you know, the idea of programming of any kind is that it 
provides something for inmates to do aside from things that are going to cause problems in the prison. Mm -hmm. That's the reason why you have TV. That's the reason you have all the other stuff. And yeah, I know it's supposed to be nasty, brutish, and short, according to the the tough-on-crime people. But the truth is, it's pretty nasty, brutish, and short anyway. And when the door's closed, you can't leave, which is pretty down, you know, pretty depressing and pretty sad. And there's lots of trouble in there. The least, you know, you can do is have a few minutes to maybe not be there in yeah. that way. You know, I, I, you know, maybe not, maybe so. But the truth is, you know, most prison administration people will tell you that it's better to have that stuff. And on top of that, as we've talked about before, over 95% of people are coming home, right. which means the way they come home is really important. And the more education they have the better they are in a mental state, uh, you know, the, the better their mental health is, you know, the better our, our society is going to be when they come back. And so the, the whole notion that people should, I obviously also believe that you should treat people as human beings at all times uh, and just have respect for them. But the notion that even if you were to say they shouldn't have any of these, I think I'd rather accept that than to accept that they can have it, but only at ridiculous prices that they can't afford. Yeah, agreed. Um, that just seems it, it, it's a more sort of diabolical kind of cruelty um, and a, a sad reflection on our values as a society and the way our attitudes towards the poor and, um, you know, has been an education for me on regressive taxation. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, I have a hard time figuring out and I, I wouldn't say this lightly, how these people sleep at night. Yeah. You know, I mean, I could understand making some profit if you were doing a lot of good in the world, like if they were providing a lot of services that really were helping people with reentry and stuff like that. And the crazy thing is, is they'll make that argument, even though they're, you know, basically working against uh, low cost versions of that from happening. Yeah. Uh, Very sad. Yeah, it's not great. So you got anything else? No, Josh. Um, I maybe my uh, closing thought is that you uh, touched on how these things, um, how these very small things, um, such as music, um, and and more generally education, are things that um, uh, are good for one's mental health. And it's hard to imagine that anyone would disagree with that. Um, but mental health is a huge topic, and where we're headed next, right? Yeah, I mean, I guess to close for me, I think, uh, you know, I think of all the people I know that have changed their life and what cha- what what things they came into contact with. And I just imagine this world where, you know, a company like Google or a company like, you know, they provided a service like these tablets. And the only purpose of these tablets was to connect people who've never really had access to real education. And I mean, even basic education you know, to some of the world's best teachers Mm. or, you know, these courses that are already available that people have recorded that could be so transformative. You know, if you think about like Khan Academy Mm -hmm. or you think about, you know, like the MOOCs we were talking about earlier Mm -hmm. that really could take someone who's never learned, for instance, just math and take them all the way. I mean, I remember a time when I sat down, I think I might have told this story before and played chess with somebody who barely could, you know, talk in the way that I would normally say. And he just killed me. Mm. 
over and over again. And we have this kind of assumption that, you know, if people don't talk the right way or they don't look the right way or they, you know, they look like they're homeless or whatever you want to say, that that means that they don't have anything inside of them that's worthwhile. And that is baloney and pardon my French, but kind of BS. Uh, and you'll learn over and over again that, you know, you can't judge a book by their cover and you don't have to go very far. You know, I mean, we had Shaka Senghor talking at the, uh, at the uh, Day of Empathy a couple, a week or two ago. And that's a guy who, you know, literally turned his life around and got someone as big as Oprah Winfrey to say that he changed her idea of how she looks at people who are formerly incarcerated and knows that everybody has more potential than just their least, their worst event in their lives. Amen. Preach it, Josh. All right. Well, <laughs> I, I hope I did. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, JPay bad. Uh, <laughs> all right, Decarceration Nation is available from iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever podcasts are aggregated. We are also now available on Spotify. Thanks for listening. Hope you'll check us out again soon.